0: Good morning again. My name is Jade. And, thank you. My name is Jade, uh, and it's great to be with you today. And boy, as you heard, we have a fantastic passage to study together. Um, now, the implications of today's passage may not be obvious at first, but I trust that as we unpack it, um, you will be as in awe of God's word as I have been studying it this week a big part of what we're looking at today is how societies manipulate people to live in defiance of God. How societies manipulate people to live in defiance of God. Now, I want you to come back with me to uh, 1973, where a guy, a convicted felon named Jan Erik Olsen, um, he escapes from prison, he enters into a bank, and he holds four people hostage for six days. Now, he makes demands, you know, he tries to ask for all the things and he tries to escape, but eventually he's caught and he's imprisoned. But the interesting thing about this story is that the hostages, hostages refuse to testify against him. The hostages actually start defending him. Check out this crazy news clipping from the New Yorker at the time. Even when threatened with physical harm, the hostages still saw compassion in their abductors. After Olsen threatened to shoot Sven in the leg to shake up the police, the hostage, Sven, recounted to The New Yorker, how kind I thought he was for saying it was just my leg he would shoot. And Mark, another hostage, tried to convince Sven, her fellow hostage, to take the bullet. But Sven, it's just in the leg. How peculiar. (laughs) The the event that happened uh, happened in a small town you may have heard of called Stockholm in Sweden, um, which is why we've come to call this peculiar relationship victims sometimes have with their oppressors Stockholm Syndrome. Um, Now, Tim read out part of the passage today, which described John seeing a prostitute and a beast. The prostitute in our passage we're going to come and see to see is actually a symbol for every society and every culture across the ages. Our passage obviously doesn't use the term Stockholm Syndrome, um, but it does use the imagery of being drunk, of being intoxicated by this woman. And what I want to suggest that we will see in our passage today is that to some degree, each and every one of us suffers from Stockholm Syndrome. With our cultures and our societies functioning as our oppressors, as our intoxicators. Our passage teaches us that people have become morally and spiritually drunk, intoxicated, being convinced that good is bad and bad is good. God is warning us, though, that we are in danger of being manipulated and being intoxicated or being deceived into loving the very thing that is oppressing us. And let me be clear, and Tim mentioned this last week in his uh, sermon. Yes, revelation is a warning to the world but it is primarily a warning to the church. The problem is that when you see Stockholm Syndrome, like we saw with Sven, it looks ridiculous. You're like, that's so dumb. But when you've been sucked into its brain-altering vortex, you may end up saying things like, but Sven, it's just the leg. So, my question to you this morning whether you're a Christian or you're not, whether you've been a Christian for decades or maybe just a few days, are there signs of Stockholm Syndrome in your life? Have you somehow been convinced that your oppressor is your friend? Have you been intoxicated by the world? And with those questions in mind, let's turn our attention to the passage. And the first verse of the passage really helpfully kind of sets up what to expect in the rest of the chapter. So let's look at that again. So one of the seven angels who had the bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. So this is one of the seven angels that we heard about last week as the bowls were being poured out. Um, and it's helpful to know that these chapters, 17 to 19, are kind of like a an expansion of the end of chapter 16 when the seventh bowl is being poured out. So the angel tells John, come, I'm going to show you the punishment of this great prostitute. Now this... Punishment happens in the end times, so what we're talking about today is in the future. Um, And to keep things simple, we'll basically just work through the passage together. But first, I'm going to introduce you to this woman and the beast, uh, and we're going to think about uh, what's going on there. Second, there's a warning here for us when it comes to this woman and the beast, and then third, we'll look at kind of like an alternative way of living. Um, So let's jump in for both Uh, the woman and the beast uh, will look at what John sees and then we'll think about what that means. So what John sees, that's generally verses 1 to 6, if you want to follow along with me in chapter 17. And then what that means is generally verses 7 to 18 in chapter 17. All right, the woman, what does John see? He sees a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. She's dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering gold, precious stones and pearls, golden cup in her hand, and a name on her forehead. Now the way that the woman is supposed to be, uh, is described, is supposed to be both terrifying but also quite attractive. And we'll, we'll pick up on this a bit later on, but none of the woman's descriptions are supposed to be like visually ugly or unattractive. Uh, she's dressed up in scarlet and purple, scarlet the color of uh, like sexual allure and promiscuity, purple the color of royalty and glam- glamour. Um, she is, has all this beautiful jewelry on her as well. But then there are two things that we're like, ooh, that doesn't feel right. She's holding a golden cup, and she has a name written on her head. Now, the cup is filled with abominable things, and the filth of her adulteries. We're actually t- spoken, told about this cup in chapter 16 as well. Um, uh, it's not the best cup to be holding. And then on her forehead is her name, and I'll just read this out. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. What a name. I mean, we named our daughter Alice, but I guess (laughs) we're old school. Um, Okay, so that's kind of what this woman is seeing. um, But what does it mean? Who is this great prostitute? So as I alluded to earlier, I'm going to show you how this woman actually represents every culture and every city. So the name on her forehead tells us that she is Babylon, and verse 18 gives us a bit more information about that. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So it's clear this woman um, isn't actually a woman, but represents Babylon the great, the great city that rules over the kings. But the question now is, why Babylon? Um, And this is a great opportunity for us to do what we've been doing for the past few weeks. Let's jump into the Old Testament. Let's kind of unpack this. Now, the tricky thing with Babylon is Babylon is mentioned over 250 times in the Bible. So kind of going into the right, uh, most helpful kind of section will be good. And where we'll do that in is we'll do that in Daniel. So I want to take you to Daniel for a moment uh, and we'll we'll jump into that. And what's happening is in the book of Daniel... um, we see the king of Babylon besieging Jerusalem. And he's taking all of the people of God and he's taking them back to Babylon with him. Now Daniel is one of these people that are being taken, these exiles, and the book outlines what life looks like for the faithful people to live in Babylon. So Babylon is the place where the people of God live as foreigners, waiting until the day God comes and brings them out of that land. Babylon today is where we live in this short time that we have on earth. Babylon is your workplace, is your city, is your suburb. Babylon is the air we breathe every day that we live, wherever we live, whether you're in Sydney or Melbourne or Beirut or Singapore, doesn't really matter. Um, let me show you verse 22. Babylon has music and musicians and pipers and trumpeteers and trades and creativity, and workmanship, and music, and arts, and culture. The prostitute in our passage is our culture. Not Western culture, just culture, just where we live. And the point of the passage is that culture is powerful, is influential, and is actually deadly. Verse 1 says that she sits by many waters. This refers to her influence on the people of the world we see this in verse 15 where the angel explains the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples multitudes nations and languages so this passage tells us about culture's widespread influence this should help us to not just think about babylon as like one country or one group or one side of politics even but to see all of them as babylon so we've seen that this woman represents Babylon and Babylon represents like our culture, the, the air that we breathe. Um, <clears throat> now I want you to come with me to verse three because we have here the first mention of the beast and the beast is the, the one that the woman is riding this beast and this beast is where she gets her power from. So it's really important for us to understand what is this beast? Um, so we'll think about what John says and then what it means. So first he sees a beast, it's a scarlet beast, With blasphemous names and has seven heads and ten horns. Remember, scarlet is the color for promiscuity, sexual allure, that kind of stuff. And this beast is covered with names that are against God. Um, Obviously, not a good beast, bad beast, and has uh, seven heads and ten horns. Uh, If you've been around Gray City for a while, we've done a few different um, uh, biblical visions, and the more heads, the more horns, kind of the more power is a bit of the summary there. Um, but there's more to learn about this beast. So what on earth are we talking about when we, say, when we see that there are seven heads and ten horns? Thankfully, verses 9 to 13 kind of flesh it out for us. And these things represent, the heads and the horns represent the authorities on the earth. Some people link the seven heads to the, to the nations that had passed before John's time. Uh, look with me at verse 10. So five had fallen... And then one is, and then one is yet to come. So the five that are fallen could be Egypt, Syria, Babylonia, Media, Persia, and Greece. The one that is could be where John was living at the time, which is Rome. And then one to come is another one that was going to come. Now, whether you hold to this interpretation or not, we kind of all land in the same place. Look at what verse 13 says about the 10 horns, which are also 10 kings. They have one purpose. And will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them. So the heads and the horns all end up in the same place as the prostitute and the beast. Um, They use their power and authority in an effort to kill the lamb, but the lamb will triumph. We'll talk more about that in point three. Um, But spoiler, Jesus is a lamb and Jesus wins. So (laughs) welcome to church, guys. Um, (laughs) So those are the horns and the heads. uh, But it's important for us to understand, what is this beast? Where did this beast come from? Now, if you've been around for a few weeks, you would have heard that the beast sounds familiar because we've seen two other beasts come up before it. um, And all of these beasts are called up by the dragon. The dragon we've seen is Satan. um, And we saw that in chapter 13. But the two other beasts were clearly kind of spoken about as Satan's tools. And each one had a special way of trying to oppress and manipulate people. And our beast today is no different. So we learned about the first beast. The first beast kind of used persecution to manipulate people um, and destroy them. The second beast used false teaching. And then we see with this beast, this scarlet beast, it's using the alluring seductiveness of the prostitute to influence the world. Now, put in terms without the symbols, like just talking straight for a second, Our culture is powered by Satan. Satan seduces people like you and me, using the things of this world, using culture, to move us away from God. This passage should reshape the way that we view the world that that we live in. And I think we should learn at least three things here. One, the world is hollow. It's like being with a prostitute. It gives you the shape of beautiful things, but as you experience more and more of it, you see how transactional and empty that relationship is. The second thing we should be able to identify is how Satan works. Satan is more likely to make your life easy than to make your life hard. When I'm getting everything that I want and life is going easy and smooth for me, that is when I am most under spiritual attack. That is when I'm at my most dangerous point. And finally, the third thing, and this may be a bit surprising, is that, boy, is our culture gorgeous and attractive. You will like culture. Now, I was thinking about this over the past week, and um, I was wondering, why do we even need a passage like this? Like, I'm telling you right now, and I feel like I can vouch for everyone in the room here, If we saw a prostitute who held the cup of abomination sitting on a beast with seven heads and ten horns and the Bible told me not to follow them, I'd be like, sure. Like, I wasn't planning to follow them. (laughs) Like, why would I? That sounds like horrendous and scary. And even if it did look good, like it's so, like, it has seven heads. (laughs) Like, it's so obvious to not go there. Just walk away. The problem is that it's not that simple. Remember that these are symbols, and the danger of us falling for them is so real. Come back with me to verse 3. I want to show you something. So the angel carries John away. He sees a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The woman is dressed the way that she is. And then look what happens next. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? If you have the ESV with you, it will say marveled. I was greatly marveled. And they, why do you marvel? That word marvel, astonished in the Greek, holds the same weight as the word admired. So the apostle John greatly admired this woman. And the angel comes back and says, why are you admiring her? This man who knew Jesus, this man who literally right at that moment was in the middle of the most wild, godly, spiritual experience that probably anyone has ever experienced, admired this woman. Look at verses 3 to 6 again. I kind of put all the descriptions at once. So a woman sitting on a scarlet beast with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns, dressed the way that she was dressed with all this golden glamour. She held a cup in her hand filled with abominable things and filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and abominations. I saw, so John, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's people. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. John admired her. Do you think you're safe? Have you fallen in love with your oppressor? Are you in love with the things of this world that are simultaneously eating you alive? When it comes to your money or lack of money, career, family, holidays, education, maybe the things that you want most for your kids... Maybe your sexuality or your gender. Have you allowed culture to dictate what you should do, what you should want, who you are? The last three verses of chapter 17, um, the beast turns on the prostitute and he devours her. He eats her flesh and he burns her and her smoke is there for everyone to see. If you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, Satan tried to do the same thing to Jesus, but he failed. He couldn't. But the beast devours this prostitute. He succeeds in devouring the one that represents culture. And if that is the fate of culture, what do you think is our fate if we've bought into it? If we've committed adultery with it and if we live with it? If we choose to enjoy this scarlet city, how do we... I guess the, the question is, how do we get out from under its influence? If it's what we breathe, if it's what we live, how do we survive if we don't want to live that way? Verse 4, chapter 18. Come with me. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, It's like a breath of fresh air when you hear that. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Notice God says, my people. I beg of you, Christian, don't think that this is a warning for someone else. It is for you today, and today you have to make a choice. Our culture is seducing you to live your best life, to enjoy the wild pleasures of your heart, to worry about the things of this world, to set your priorities based on what it says is important. It's trying to brainwash you to the point where you come to believe that a shot in the leg is actually a gift. But God is calling you to come out. Don't share in her sins. Now, let's think practically for a moment. If we're saying that this is about Sydney, because we live in Sydney, or Melbourne, or any other city that you live in, what does that actually mean? Do I need to leave my secular job? Should you take, if you have kids, should you take them to swimming classes? Should we all live in huts and not buy homes? Should everyone just become a minister? I mean, I don't, I don't mind that last one because I'm about to graduate. So, <laughs> done. I want you to think back with me to Daniel. So, Daniel literally lived in Babylon. And as I mentioned before, we find this amazing example of how to live godly lives while we're in Babylon through Daniel. So here are just four quick things on Daniel living in Babylon. First of all, he lived there. He didn't leave. So we could misinterpret God's call to come out to mean go and live in a commune in the mountains somewhere. But that's not what God's asking us to do. So if he lived in Babylon, and we are to live in Sydney, what does that look like? So two, and this may be surprising, but Daniel sought to bless the culture that he lived in. Come with me to Jeremiah 29. God is speaking here. He he says to Daniel and to the people there, build houses and settle down. So yes, it's true that the pervasive culture of our, of our city here in Sydney is being used by Satan to move you away from God. But we are still called to seek pre- peace and prosperity in our city, to participate in everyday life, to go to our jobs and be great accountants and great teachers and great doctors and great supermarket attendants. Daniel took part in many aspects of Babylonian life. He was, he was a pretty big boss, actually, back there. Um, go back to our series when we did Daniel. It was pretty great. He worked in the king's court. He had quite a senior position, and he was well-respected. But at the same time, Daniel knew what to reject. Daniel 1a, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And this is what it means to come out when God calls us, come out. In verse 4 in chapter 18. So right before the come out, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings have committed adultery with her. The merchants grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And then another voice comes in. God's voice says, come out of her, my people. The nations, the kings, the merchants, they're all living with Stockholm syndrome. They all fell in love with the seductive waves of the world. They grew rich from its excessive luxuries. They all share in her sins and will all receive her plagues. Come out. Daniel takes life-threatening stances against the things of his world that would defile him. He doesn't want to share in his world's sins, and he's willing to suffer and even die for it. He saw, he was able to identify the way that Satan works, Satan's seductive ways. The thing he didn't want to defile himself with was the most beautiful food from the king's palace. But he chose to obey God over obeying Babylon. So that's what we're called away from. But what are we called to? Is there an alternative way of living that this passage is calling us to? And, and the surprise of this passage is that there isn't just one woman, but there are actually two women. We saw the prostitute in chapter 17 and 18, but in chapter 19, we actually meet a very different woman. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was giving her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The mood here has dramatically shifted. The prostitute and the beast, our culture and environment, and Satan who controls them have been destroyed. There were waves of mourning um, by all the servants of the prostitute in chapter 18. Mourning the loss of everything they had devoted their lives to acquiring, enjoying sex... Riches, luxuries, authority, power, careers. And now we see that the ones who stood firm in it all, the ones who listened to God's warning to come out and so have been invited to join the people of God in a different kind of a relationship. Not a transactional relationship, but actually, in the words of our passage, a marriage. The marriage between the Lamb, who is Christ, and the bride who are God's people, the church. Revelation twelve eleven kind of helps flesh out what the end looks like when you are a part of God's people. They triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. As I close, let me talk to those of you who follow Christ for a moment first. I want to remind us again that everything that we've heard today from God's word is actually directed at us. It's a warning to us about the dangers of our culture and how easily we could be dragged down with it. So the big question that we needed answered today was how do I make sure I don't fall into that trap? Our passage today specifically describes Satan's tools as drunkenness, adultery, riches and excessive luxuries these are in themselves warnings and also are umbrella terms, are umbrellas for a whole range of other tools that Satan uses. For example, drunkenness and intoxication are in themselves terrible and impact our communities and our families. And some of us in this room may be impacted by those two things. But going through life intoxicated by the world's ideologies impacts every single one of us in this room and our children and our children's children and our grandparents. Same thing goes for excessive luxuries. And the same thing goes for adultery, whether it's pornography or sex outside of marriage or infidelity in marriage. These things impact some of us to some degree in this room. But being unfaithful to Christ for the sake of satisfying my own temporary desires that impacts each and every one of us this passage is for us and the only way to not fall into the trap to be able to triumph over Satan look at verse 11 is by the blood of the Lamb by the word of your testimony of what God has done through Jesus on the cross to save you Jesus didn't die because, because it was a nice thing to do Jesus' death defeated Satan, sin, and our eternal death. In the words of this passage, Jesus' death secured us as his bride and gave us fine linen to wear. Jesus' death means that you can live in Sydney like Daniel lived in Babylon. Not serving the masters of drunkenness, adultery, and luxury, remembering all the things that could kind of come with it, but still blessing your city but still living for your savior. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, or maybe you've been on the fence for a while first, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today and we love having you here. Let me ask you. um, I want to make sure that you know this from my passage today. Satan doesn't really want you to know that he exists. The way that he works is by manipulation and seduction And he works best when you treat him like a fairy tale. Our passage shows us how countless people have been lured and trapped into devoting their lives and will in the future to serving things that will eventually come back and devour them and destroy them. God is speaking to you today through his word. And he's inviting you into a very different relationship. And just the fact that you are invited... And not manipulated and deceived into this relationship, that should tell you something about the God that we worship. Let today be the day that you decide, yes, to live in and bless the culture that you live in, but to do that as a part of the bride, as one who has been washed clean from the filth and the abomination of this world. None of us can do this on our own, it is only by Jesus' death that we can defeat Satan. Now, if that's you today, um, I want to invite you to pray along with me. And if you do pray along, let someone know. We'd love to encourage you and support you and pray with you and just be your church family today. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that you reveal through it you show us the true reality behind all the pretty things that we see in life don't let us be deceived by Satan's schemes I pray Father with people who don't follow you today but who are keen and eager to get to know who you are I pray that you reveal yourself to them through your word, through your Son. Let them know what Christ did on the cross for them. Let that be, let that change their hearts. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to move in them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.